We're going to uh, be right there in Philippians 2, so I'd love for you to join me there this morning as we uh, think about what Paul wrote a long time ago and yet very, very relevant to you and me today. I appreciate these men who've led us in worship this morning and their thoughtfulness and their being intentional about their words and choice of songs and, and just a, a meaningful way they've led us, and I appreciate that so, so very much. The, we, uh, we welcome all of you again. I'm so thankful we get to be here together. I love this church and love, uh, love the fact that we've got visitors who come to us every Sunday and we welcome each one of you. We do pray and hope that this is a blessing to all of you who are here this morning. Um, Paul, I uh, love the Apostle Paul, you know. I'm sure if, you, if you've read the Bible much, you've, you probably know quite a bit about Paul, you know. If you haven't read the Bible much, you've heard of Paul, I'm guessing, uh, he was such an incredible leader and preacher and evangelist and missionary, follower of Jesus. He was aggressive. He was a hard worker. He was confident. He was courageous, fearless. Once he became a Christian, you know, you may know, you know, Paul had previously done everything he could do to hurt Christianity, uh, even to the point of persecuting and and, and leading to the death, to the execution of Christians. Paul, Paul, Paul found the Lord, though he met the Lord. The Lord found Paul. Yeah, he became a Christian. And from then on, he was all in, you know. I mean, he gave every ounce of his being to the cause of Jesus Christ, to the point of inevitably, ultimately giving his life. He was beheaded, we think. You know, scholars believe he was beheaded by Emperor Nero. Not too long, within Philippians was written early 60s, Paul died around 65 or 66, so he wrote this letter, you know, three, four, five years before he was executed by Emperor Nero. Now, I say all that to say this, Paul was careful in the way he worded things. He did not give people, people false praise. He didn't believe in flattery. Uh, Paul wasn't afraid to stand up to people who he didn't think were measuring up. He once admonished the Apostle Peter, a fellow apostle, you know, the Apostle Peter, right? And he wrote a he wrote a couple of books in the Bible. I mean, Peter was a pretty important guy. Peter preached a sermon that's recorded in Acts 2, and yet there was a time where Paul and, Paul's and Peter's paths crossed, and Paul was not afraid to stand up and say, Peter, you're wrong on this. I mean, so Paul, Paul wasn't somebody who just said, hey, you know, we're all, we're all good. Don't, don't worry about anything. Paul, Paul got into an argument with his good friend Barnabas once. That's including the book of Acts. It's just interesting. So I say that to say this, Paul was somebody who, who spoke things the way they needed to be spoken. He said what needed to be said, and he did not give out flattery or false praise. And so when you read a paragraph like this one from Philippians 2, 19 through 24, you know that you can listen to what Paul is saying. He had something very important to say about his good friend Timothy, about his protege. Paul was, Paul was, he, was he, he loved this guy. And he says some pretty neat things about him. It's powerful, and I want us to study them this morning. From this perspective, I want us to see why Paul does this. Paul doesn't waste words. He doesn't just throw this in there so he can you know, build up Timothy's confidence or whatever. He has, a, he has a reason for doing this. Paul was intentional about his words. And so I'm, I'm, I'm asking the question, why is this here? Why did he put it here? And, and why does it matter to us? I mean, we're 2,000 years removed from this. You know, why are we studying a little paragraph in a pretty short little letter that Paul wrote to a church in Philippi 2,000 years ago? And I hope that by the end of this, you'll have some inkling of an idea as to why that might be the case. So let me give you a little background about what's going on. 
We're going to think about how Paul uses Timothy as an example to help us understand what it means to be Jesus-like or to be a follower of Jesus. Paul's in prison, which is fascinating on its own. He's, uh, he's, this is around 60, 61, 62. Those were the years he was in prison in Rome. He ended up getting released from this imprisonment, got to do some more teaching and preaching, and then got rearrested, and that's the one from which he'll never be released, and he was ultimately beheaded by Nero. But this one, he's in for a couple of years in Rome. If you read the book of Acts, for example, and you get to the end of it, and Paul's in prison in Rome, you may remember that. It says Paul's in this under house arrest, he's in jail. And, and then the book of Acts ends. Well, it's there, right there at the end of Acts, when he writes this letter to the church at Philippi that he had established in Acts 16. Just a little background. He had converted these people. He loved them. And uh, he wanted to encourage them and, and build them up in the faith. And so he writes this letter from, from jail to the Philippians because he wants to build them up. Now, go back. Have you got your Bible with you? I hope you do, whether on your phone or a tablet or a traditional Bible, I do hope that you've got it open before you because it'll be so much more helpful to you. You'll get more out of it if you actually see this. I want to show you something by turning back one, one chapter to Philippians 1. And I want us to read just one verse, I think, from Philippians 1. Listen to this. This is why Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. They were having, he loved these people, but they were having a few issues. They were arguing amongst themselves. They were grumbling and complaining some he singles out a couple of ladies in the church who apparently weren't getting along, and I don't know if they were talking about each other, or I don't know exactly what was going on with them. That's mentioned in Philippians 4, Yodia and Syntyche, a couple of folks, a couple of ladies in the church, I don't know, back and forth at each other. It's just interesting, a very human thing Paul's doing. He's basically telling these folks, look, cut it out, you know, stop this stuff. It's not consistent with who you are. You don't need, you don't need to be like that. And so, you know, he sprinkles this in there. But I don't think it's just those two ladies. I think there was a spirit in the church. Paul loved them, but there was a spirit in the church that Paul was a little bit scared that it might develop into something big. And they were, there was a kind of an undercurrent in the, in the church at Philippi that uh, a little arguing, a little, you know, a little pettiness, a little gossip, you know, how stuff happens among people, right? It happens today in our churches and happens in our workplaces and schools. I mean, it's all over the place. So it's kind of, you can see this very human thing. We can relate to this. So, against that backdrop, we've got this letter. In Philippians 1.27, listen to what Paul says. Kind of read between the lines based on what I've already said. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I think that's the key verse of the entire book of Philippians. So what's he saying? I mean, you can read this and understand what he's saying. You know, he's, you see the emphasis on oneness, one spirit, one mind. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. Uh, he, he's, that you may, uh, what, with one mind striving side by side. You see, Paul's addressing something here in this church, and he wants them to come along beside each other and to work together in the faith. And so you've got this um, first part of verse 27. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's, that's rich right there. What does it mean to be a Christian, you know? You mean to get baptized, have your name on a church roll? What does it mean? Fill, fill a church pew, your assigned church pew every Sunday? What does it mean to be a Christian? You know, I mean, that's probably a question. I know it's a question. Every generation has to ask and re-ask and re-answer and all that because we've got to reevaluate this in every, every age and every time 
it's different, a little different now than it was in Paul's day. I mean, these people were living Christianity in the face of persecution and paganism and idolatry and all this stuff going on. We're in the Bible Belt. So, you know, I'm particularly interested in what does it look like for Hoover to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus? What does that look like? You know, what does that, what does that look like? Paul's, Paul's helping them to wrestle with that. So what does it look like? This is a very important question for you guys to ask. For us church, as a church, collectively to ask, but for you and me individually to ask, what does it look like? What, what does it look like to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ? I mean, I'd be tempted to say, wow, I don't think I can. I don't th- How in the world can I live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ? Well, Paul's, Paul's wrestling with this stuff. So you've, you've, you turn the page or scroll down or in my Bible, it's on the same page, Philippians 2. And I appreciate Mark's words here uh, in the communion meditation because um, I think Mark is right on point there with his connecting what we're studying with the first part of Philippians 2 because Paul is continuing that theme and he's saying, okay, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Get along, one spirit, one mind, striving side by side and all that. And then he comes to chapter 2 and he says, he says what we read earlier. He says, all this stuff's in Christ. All this is in, in the Spirit. And then he says, verse 3, you know, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. Don't let stuff be about yourself. Count others more significant than yourselves. Isn't that powerful? Anybody in here got that down pat? Um, man, in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, who among us has got that consistently figured out and practices it, you know, all the time? I, Count others to be more significant than yourselves. And then Paul does what Paul always does. He says, all right, you're not doing this very well, but look at Christ. He is absolutely the perfect example of this. And he says, you know, have the mind of Christ. And he goes on and he says, Jesus did that for us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think what Paul is doing, stay with me. I want you to see this connection, all right? Paul gives, always gives the example of Jesus. Right? He says, here's what I want you to do. Look at Christ. Here's what you don't need to do. Look at Christ. So he, he always does that. But I think Paul recognizes sometimes, sometimes you and I might be tempted to think, well, Jesus did it, but, I mean, come on. Jesus was God. Of course he could do it. Of course he could live sinlessly. He was God. Of course he, he considered others more significant than himself. He was God, and he had something that we don't have because of the God factor, right? He was God-man. So how in the world am I going to do it if Jesus is the one? I mean, I, do you ever get frustrated? I'm like, I look at Jesus, I think, wow, I want to be more like that, but man, that's hard because I can't ever be like that. Not, not fully. How in the world can I follow the example of Jesus when I can't get anywhere in the same ballpark, the same universe as Jesus? Do you ever feel that kind of struggle? So, having said all that, I think what Paul is doing when he, when he brings Timothy into the discussion is he recognizes sometimes we need examples, real-life examples, from people who are doing this thing and they're doing it in a way that is worthy of emulation. The world needs more Christianity in the flesh. 
real life examples of this. And so I think that's what Paul is doing. He says in chapter 1, let your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. How in the world do I do that? All right, chapter 2, look at Jesus. But then my, my attitude might be, I want to be more like Jesus, but it's so, he's so far up there that I don't think I can ever do that. I, what would Jesus do? Well, I might know what he might do, but I have a hard time doing that thing. Paul moves on and he says, okay, let me give you an example that you've actually seen. You know, they knew Timothy. Timothy was with Paul. They knew Timothy. The church of Philippi knew who he was. They, they could hear Timothy's voice. They had spoken to him. They had hugged him. They had worshipped with him. They had heard Timothy preach. They knew the guy. All right, They knew him. And so when Paul, Paul says, be like Jesus, and they might say, oh, we want to be like Jesus, but how in the world can we do that? Paul says, all right, let me give you another example. Let me give you, let me give you an example of somebody you know. Let's talk about Timothy for a minute. So in the text that we read earlier, Rex read for us earlier, Philippians 2, 19 to 24, Paul, uh, Paul talks about Timothy. He says, I'm planning to send Timothy to you soon so, far as I too, uh, so, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him. I love that. No one like him. Who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I, I'm pretty sure what Paul is doing is he's using Timothy as an additional example of what he's already taught them. Look back to, look back to verse 4 of chapter 2. You, you there with me? 21 says they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Back up in verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's using the same language. He told them earlier. He says, he says, um, um, look, look at others, look not to your own interest, but to the interest of others. And he says, look at Jesus. And then he gets down below and he says, okay, you need another example? Let me give you somebody you know. You know who he is. You know what it looks like. You've heard him preach. Spend time with him. I want to tell you about Timothy. You think, maybe I can't ever do it because Jesus is the only one who ever did it. And Paul says, oh, that's not completely true. Timothy's doing it too. Timothy's following Jesus. Timothy's living this kind of life. Flesh and blood, Christianity in the flesh. And so in verse 21, when he says, all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, Paul is saying Timothy is an exception to that. A lot of folks are seeking their own interests, but not Timothy. You can know, wow, can you imagine Paul saying this about you? Everybody else is self-interested, is self-obsessed, self-absorbed, uh, but not Timothy. You can know if he's telling you something, he's telling, it, he's telling you what he believes you need, because he loves you and cares about you, and he's putting your interest above his own. No one like him. No one like him. He's following Jesus. This is what Christianity looks like, Paul said to Philippi. This is what it looks like. Look at Timothy, this young man. Look at him. That's what it looks like. And, and, and so when, when, you, when you read this, you've got this, this confidence that Paul says, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. So what Paul is doing here is he's, he's saying that, that Timothy shows us what Christianity looks like. He's a real-life example of that. And three things, basically, that he says. Look what he says in verse 20. Number one, Timothy was genuinely concerned for their welfare. Genuinely concerned. You know, that is, that's huge. Do you have a friend 
or family member who you know is genuinely concerned for your welfare. That you're not worried about some sort of an ulterior motive. That's, huge. That's big. That's a big thing. You got somebody like that who can come to you and say, look, um, I got something that's really hard for me to say, but I need to say it. And you can take that. You can hear that because you know you know that he or she is saying it to you, not out of some ulterior motive, not out of some condescension, holier than thou kind of thing, but they've got your best interest in heart. Paul says, Philippi, Timothy is that kind of guy. He's, he's genuinely concerned about it. He loves you. He loves you. Man, to have some, I said, do you have somebody like that? Are you, are you that kind of person? I'm going to come back to that. Um, that that's the first one. He's genuinely concerned for their welfare. What does it mean to follow Jesus in the flesh? Like, what does it look like? It means to be genuinely concerned about people more than you're concerned about yourself. That's what it looks like. Paul says, live a life that's consistent, that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. Jesus did that, but not just Jesus. Timothy was looking at the cross, and he was doing it, and you can look at Timothy, because in a real life, a real person with his own struggles and own temptations, somebody who's not God, he's doing it too. Genuinely concerned for your welfare. And then number two in verse 21, I already said this, but um, Timothy was interested in, he was concerned about the interest of Jesus, not his own. That's, that's big. Concerned about the interest of Christ more than his own. <laughs> like they didn't have to worry about Timothy, what Timothy's thinking if he's, you know, got some hidden agenda or whatever. Uh, Timothy was just doing what was right. The third thing is in verse 22, you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. He served tirelessly in the gospel. That I was reading one translation of this, and they translated, he, I think they want to bring out the real meaning of this verb, and it was translated, he slaved. He slaved with me in the gospel, because they want to bring out that word serve. I don't know, serve is a little bit weak, a little bit generic for Force, I think. I mean, to serve. What does that mean? Slaved with me in the gospel. That's a little stronger, isn't it? He slaved with me in the gospel. In other words, Timothy, Timothy worked. Timothy worked. He, he, uh, he was like a son to me. He was like a son. He, you know his proven worth, how as a son with a father. And again, about that expression, the ESV, the proven worth thing, I'm told that that probably doesn't do it justice, that there's something underlying that, this proven worth, pause, using words that are very, very powerful. Timothy shows us what it looks like. I want to do this for a couple minutes before we finish up. Paul is, is saying to the church at Philippi, you've got a Timothy. You've got a Timothy. You've got somebody who cares about you. He, he genuinely does. He loves you. Uh, you've, got, you've got Timothy who's putting the interest of Christ above his own. You've got Timothy who's willing to slave in the gospel. You, you've, got, you've got a Timothy. But I think what he's getting at, because he goes, he goes on, actually just prior to this and after this, Paul is talking to the church at Philippi and he's saying, look, you need to, you need to grow in your relationship to Christ. If you go back up a few verses prior to our paragraph, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent. Chapter 4, he's going to talk to those two ladies 
uh, in the church, these two Christians. Uh, and he singles out men as well in other places. But, but here he's talking to these, these two folks in the church in Philippians 4 to agree in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Get along. And then in between there he says, Here, here's Timothy. So, so a word of encouragement to us, to, to our church family here. Do you have a Timothy? I hope you do. Are you a Timothy? Are you a Timothy? Do you have people into whose lives you pour the truth of the gospel? Do you have, do you have people who know that you're looking out for their best interest? You know, the, the world needs this from us. The world needs us to show them what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I think one of the biggest problems that we face as Christians in our current climate is that there's a, there's a, there's a sense in which many people are hostile to Christianity and sometimes their hostility flows out of this, this uh, experience with hypocritical Christians. Sometimes they see people who, who, who flaunt the name of Christ or who talk about being Christians or you know, they go to church or whatever, but then they see in their lives that they're not actually living what it means to be a Christian. That hurts the influence of Christianity. And if there are people in this assembly this morning, you come here as a Christian, as somebody who claims to be a part of the body of Jesus and you've been baptized, you are a Christian, you call yourself a Christian. But when you go to work, I'm not talking about the inconsistencies that we all struggle with, the, the, the human weaknesses that everybody in this room struggles with because of our humanity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about if you go to work tomorrow, or you go to school tomorrow, and your life reflects somebody who is not submitting to Jesus Christ, if your words and your attitudes and your actions are inconsistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ, people are watching you. People are watching you. And they're making a judgment not just about you, but about the body of Jesus. Not just about the body of Jesus, but about the name of Jesus. They're making a judgment about Him. And there may be someone, God forbid, but there may be someone who's turned away from following Jesus because of something they see in me or you. Paul says, let your life be consistent. Let it be worthy of the gospel of Christ. He puts Jesus up there as an example. And then he turns to Timothy and he says to the church of Philippi, look at this guy. You, you may think you can't do it. Timothy's doing it. He's also faced with persecution. He's also faced with hardship. Look at his example. Be more like that. But you know, this, this ought to speak to us today, not, not just because the world needs to see this in us, but bringing it closer to home. Our, our kids need to see this in us. If you're a parent, there are going to be times where they doubt your love for them or your interest in them. Uh, I remember thinking, I've, I've probably shared this with you before, but I remember thinking when I was a teenager that God put my dad on earth to make me miserable. I remember that. I believed it with every fiber of my being. That's why he was there. And he was enjoying it, I thought. But I think deep down, even in those moments where I was on some level convicted of that, I think deep down in my spirit, I knew that wasn't true. You know, I didn't want to admit it, but I knew it wasn't the case that my parents, even though they restricted me and, 
didn't let me, you know, do the things that I thought I should be able to do. I knew deep down that what they were doing, they did because they, they, they loved me, you know. They had, they had my interest in heart. Our kids need that in us. They, they need that in us. They need for us to be genuinely interested in their welfare. None of us do that perfectly, of course. Your, your spouse needs to know that. Isn't this, isn't this really the gospel? I mean, this is it. This is it. Jesus Christ on the cross gave himself, and he is the, he's the perfect example of the Spirit. He was so genuinely interested in your and my welfare that he went to the cross, sacrificing his own interest, as, as we prayed just a few minutes ago, sacrificing his own interest so that ours could be fulfilled. So that's, that's, this is the gospel. And what we're talking about here is the gospel applied to specific situations. And so, you know, uh, when Paul talks about marriage in, in Ephesians 5, he goes back to the cross and he says, Husbands, love your wives as what? Some of you can finish that. As Jesus loved the church. If you're married, then what we're talking about here, the gospel, what does it look like there? It means you're genuinely interested in her or his welfare, her or his interest above your own. That's the gospel in the flesh. That's what it looks like. Parents, you're genuinely interested in the welfare of your children more so than you are your own. In, in marriage, it's like this. In the church, it's, it's look like, look, it looks like this. And this is where, how Paul is applying it here. He's saying to the church of Philippi, look, you're grumbling and complaining and backbiting and all this stuff. Look, follow Jesus Christ. Look what he did. Look, Timothy's doing it too. You have that kind of spirit. Be genuinely interested in the welfare of others. Put their interest above your own because that is what the gospel looks like in the flesh, right? No one like you, no one like us to live out what it means to be a follower of Jesus. The world needs to see it in us. We need to see it in one another in the church. We need to see it in our homes as parents with their children. We need to see it in our marriages as husbands and wives toward one another. It's just every relationship, your co-workers, your in your extended family relationships, wherever it is, this is the gospel in the flesh. This is what it looks like. And this is what Paul is doing when he says, look at Jesus. But they hadn't seen Jesus, you know. And see, I think, I think that's the thing about it. Sometimes when I preach or teach about Jesus, and I preach and teach it to myself, I find myself sometimes thinking, man, I wish I could see Jesus. I wish I could have been like, you know, Peter and John and the others, and actually seen it. I wish I'd met him on the road to Damascus like Paul did. You know, I wish I'd actually seen him. And I think that's why Paul does what he does here. You may not have seen Jesus, he says to the church at Philippi, but you've seen Timothy. You've seen someone who's doing it genuinely. He's not doing it perfectly, but he's doing it genuinely. And that's what he wants from us. You've never seen Jesus. <clears throat> never. We'll get to see him one day. You've never seen him in the flesh. We'll get to, but haven't yet. But you've seen somebody who's doing it. You've seen a Timothy. You've seen a, you've seen a Paul. You know, you, you've seen it maybe in your home. Maybe you didn't grow up in that kind of home, but you've seen it in the church or wherever. But, but then he also says to us, let's be that for somebody else. Let's be that for somebody. If you're not a Christian this morning, I appreciate Norman's prayer about the invitation. Uh, it can be so easy for, for me and probably for you for this to become kind of sort of cliche because we do it so often. <clears throat> Uh, I don't want it to be that. We don't want it to be that. We don't want it to be just something you, you zone out for a minute till we start singing. Uh, the invitation of Christ is always open. You know, we traditionally do it at the end of most of our lessons here. 
want you to know it's a real thing. It is a real thing. And, and Jesus is genuinely interested in your welfare. And the invitation is his, not, not mine, not, not the church's. We, we do it on behalf of Jesus Christ. And he, he, uh, he urges anybody in this assembly to put your faith and trust in him, to accept the gospel, to, to accept him for who he is, the son of God, and put him on in baptism and let the uh, spirit come to dwell in your heart and life and accept the, for, the forgiveness of sins based on the cross. And the invitation comes from Jesus Christ. If there's someone here who needs to do that, we're here now, we're here, we'll be here anytime to help you obey Jesus Christ. Perhaps, and this is the case with most people in this room, you've already obeyed the gospel, but perhaps you're here as one whose, whose life has been characterized by rebellion. It has not been consistent with your profession of Jesus as Lord and Savior. And maybe it's something you need to take care of between you and the Lord. Maybe it's something we can pray with you about this morning. But if we can help you spiritually, we want to do that. Let's stand and let's sing. If you need to come, I hope you will.